Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode... I sit down with Ben Bailey-Smith. Um, a lot of you may know Ben as Doc Bram. Um, I know him as a wonderful podcast guest, uh, also a good DJ. I, I first met Ben when he came to DJ for, for me and Scroob um, way back now, probably sort of eight, nine years ago. Um, he's also guested on, on the Hardcore Listing podcast uh, that I, I co-host. And uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's a top lad, as you're about to find out, um, with impeccable taste in music. We will dig deep into that before we do anything else some thank yous um first thanks always go to the aforementioned uh, mr scroobius pip uh thanks to 76 for producing this episode uh and always the biggest thanks go to you lot for continuing to support off the beaten track uh and just be really bloody nice listeners you're you're, you're all super kind you send little messages and Lots of likes, loves, shares, retweets, and, and comments and stuff on on the social posting. So so thanks. You know it's it's really nice. I'm I'm super privileged to get to have these conversations with these incredible talents. And 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 it's really nice that you know once I finish that conversation, I will throw it out into the universe. And and you know it would appear that lots of people like listening to it. So uh, that's a, a real a real Brucey bonus. Um, if you'd like to, uh, what I should say if it's your first time listening. Uh, to off the beaten track. When you get to the end of today's episode with Ben, go check the back catalogue. I'm 400 episodes in. You know, if you like actors, you can hear me talking to um, Michael Smiley, Thomas Turgoose, uh, Maxine Peake, Joe Hartley, Amanda Abington. Uh, the list goes on there. Um, if you like your stand ups, you can hear me talking to Ed Gamble, James Acaster, Rich Wilson. Uh, Maisie Adam uh, and again the list goes on there loads of amazing musicians you know you can hear me talking to rock gods like Tommy Lee and the Foo Fighters you can hear me talking to um, hip hop stars such as Chuck Deer Public Enemy Yellow Wolf um, oh god super producers like Butch Fig Fatboy Slim um, amazing DJs like Darren Emerson, uh, Paul Oakenfold. So yeah, plenty for you to get your teeth stuck into when you finish listening to uh, my Ace Chat with Ben. There's a Patreon, and it's going to cost you a dollar a month if you'd like to support the podcast. A dollar a month, what's that? 20 pence a week uh, and you can watch all the episodes over there you can uh, watch all my chats uh, you can get access to hundreds of radio shows episodes that have never been released before um, 
little mixtape playlists and yeah but essentially that that dollar a month goes in the pot to kind of you know keep keep everything being paid for and, and ensuring that you get two free episodes every week um but yeah there's loads more stuff over on the patreon but yeah ultimately you're just supporting uh, the podcast so any help that would be great uh, you can find out about the patreon you can find out about back catalogs social media and everything else you need to know about this podcast at off the beat and not beaten beat and track podcast.com right let's get on with it please enjoy off the beat and track podcast with ben bailey smith Right, I've got to take a quick break in this podcast because I've got some super exciting news. Off the Beat and Track podcast is proud to go into partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. That's right. The Cacao Bar is not a chocolate bar. It's all the best bits of a chocolate bar put into a really exciting new alcoholic range. That's right. Gin, vodka, and a beautiful range of cream liqueurs. So, One of the big bonuses of this partnership is obviously I'm super thrilled to have Hotel Chocolat working with us, but they sent me a great big box of this stuff. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. Go and check it out, www.hotelchocolat.com or over on the socials at Hotel Chocolat. But yeah, in the coming months, there's going to be opportunities for you to get involved with competitions with us to win bottles of stuff there's loads of exciting things coming soon and i can't be more happy to say that this podcast is in partnership with the cacao bar from hotel chocolat all right let's get back to the podcast it's off the beat and track podcast on the distraction pieces network with me stew with him okay we are recording ben how are you today mate very well, Stu, man. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. We've just had a, a quick chat. It's been a while since uh, we last caught yeah, up. The first was, with, was it with Pip last time? I the first time we met, you came and DJed for Pip and I uh, at the book oh club. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, Towards the end of the Dragons thing, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, and then you came on and done my Hardcore Listing podcast, and you done top five moments in stand-up i think or uh, nightmares yeah. that have happened <laughs> during stand-up something like that i can't i can't recall it's a few years back now yeah. but um but it's good to have you back and it's good to have you back talking music mm. um but before we get on to the playlist i just want to sort of ask as, as i ask most guests how you found the the recent sort of few years of lockdown uh how you found that personally and creatively um well at first i was terrified because i just bought a house that i couldn't afford <laughs> and, um, and i was thinking okay look, let me you know sometimes you think i'm gonna bet on myself i'm gonna bet on myself to make this money you know and i just got this job shooting a thriller for apple and i was like yeah this is all good and um i'd heard about the COVID thing, but I just assumed it was like, I don't know, swine flu or something. Yeah. And just done and dusted in two weeks. Yeah. yeah. yeah, And then I got an email from, <laughs> from Apple saying, yeah, we're not, we're not shooting this. Everyone go home. Um, I'd, I'd done one day and obviously, you know, in my line of work, there's, there's very rarely like holiday pay or sick pay or anything like that. So I like, went back to this big house and just thought, Oh no, 
<laughs> and I was really, really worried. And then two amazing things happened, really. One had already happened, but I'd been ignoring it, which was that um, I'd signed a contract to, to write two novels, children's novels for, um, for Bloomsbury. And I'd just been putting it off and putting it off. And they were really cool. And I was saying, look, I'm just too busy. Like, I'm just I'm shooting, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. You know, I need a chunk of time. And, and they're like, yeah, yeah, fine, fine, fine. And then when the pandemic hit, all they had to do was just start a Zoom meeting with me and just raise their eyebrows and fold their arms. There's no, there's no need to have any further discussion. Yeah. It's like, yep, a log off. Thanks, good meeting. <laughs> I'll get started. So I had something to do yeah. every day. Which, which really helped, um, not financially. So that was the other miracle, really, was that um, I heard through some of my contacts, I, you know, I do a bit of copywriting for adverts and stuff. So some of the other writers I, I knew told me about um, this pitch. People were pitching to Snoop Dogg for this Just Eat advert. And I thought, I'll have a bit of that. So I pitched to him and, uh, and won it. And um, I wrote those two Just Eat ads and that was it. That sorted me out. No way. Two years. Two years, man. I just didn't have to worry throughout the whole pandemic about feeding my kids or paying my mortgage. So thank you, Snoop. Um, amazing. That was, those are two amazing things. So that sort of really helped just dealing with the mental health elements that we were all struggling with. I felt incredibly privileged um really considering what other friends were going through you know i have friends who whose relationships were breaking down or marriages were breaking down just you know on the cusp of of the pandemic and then where are you going to go what are you going to do you can't leave so you have to sit in this pain for like two years you know and, and other people other friends who live in tiny flats sharing bedrooms you know no gardens, you know, like, so I was like super, super lucky. But that said, it was still hard, man. Like forcing my kids to be on screen, like all day, it was brutal. You know, um, they, they were really disengaged with education, I think. And it was, I found it really sad, you know, and a lot of kids, like my youngest at the time, she was about to finish primary school forever. Yeah. And, Missed out on that. So no end of year trip, no disco, no goodbye, just later. It's over. That's your childhood, like, done. And then, of course, come September, when she was supposed to start a new school, secondary school, she couldn't go either. Yeah. And, like, how profound is that? Like, when you're starting at secondary school, like, you're meeting all these new kids and you're sort of, like, finding out who you are and stuff. She missed all of that as well, you know. So it's really tough on her. Um, I think that was a real strange thing. I think it was like that. You also, I mean, as, as resilient as children are, like I, I was kind of the other end of of it from from you, Ben. Like my my youngest finished secondary school and had no prom. Had didn't get to say goodbye oh, to her friends. And my eldest turned eighteen in lockdown and had never oh. been to a club. And and oh. on her eighteenth birthday, she's like literally just sitting there eating pizza with like me and my wife, and it's like you should be throwing up like blue WKD in a gutter somewhere with your pals. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? You don't need to be doing this. And yeah, it was kind of like the, the, the other That's end of it. And it was love, man. That, that, that period of your life like that. Absolutely. That first sweet taste of real freedom. Yeah. Man. 
And, um, I, and I'll tell you what, obviously the first time we met was in, you know, in one of the club nights that I'll, that I'll promote and seeing clubs reopen and seeing kids that had turned 18 during lockdown that hadn't been, had never been clubbing. And then like a year into, you know, probably being like 19 by the time that the clubs reopened, like the surge of young people experiencing clubbing for the first time was like unbelievable. You had this like period of like, you know, almost two years of people that could now go clubbing but couldn't. And it's been really interesting seeing and watching how these people club. They club very differently. Like, this sounds really weird, right, Ben? But what I've noticed is, and I'm generalising a little here, but I'll play a record if I'm DJing and you get that drop at the beginning where people go, yes, and like, and someone make their way on the dance floor. But it feels like halfway through a song, their phones come back out again and they're sort of, and, oh, and, and their attention's gone. Keep them going. Yeah. I mean, I had this exact experience, but from a punter's point of view, a couple of weeks ago, because, um, you know, my friends, my friends run a night called Live Improved, it's like a big hip hop night. And, um, the crowd has progressively got younger and younger and younger, but obviously the DJs <laughs> just get older and older and older. Um, and I hadn't been for a while, so I went, took a big crew of boys down there. And, you know, we're all old school hip hoppers and we're all friends with the whole DJ team. So we just have these moments where once we've got a few drinks in us, we're just like, right, we're just playing the classics, you know, and we'll be up there dancing. And that's exactly how it was. And every now and again, through my sort of vodka-fueled haze, I'd look out into the crowd and there'd just be young people just like staring at us like, <laughs> what the fuck is this? What the fuck is this? It's Black Moon, motherfucker. Now shut up. Don't get a drink or something. <laughs> 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 All right, well, let's, let's, let's talk records. And, uh, and Ben, I'm going to ask you to start your playlist. Uh, we, we, we've tracked one, obviously, and it's the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro. I mean, I've seen that you've been greedy right from the it's off. Very, yeah, so how do you pick one? I mean, the, the toughest thing about these questions is each, each question requires one. <laughs> you, can, you can have some honourable mentions, mate. Yeah, okay, well, I, I think then stick with the first one that came to mind, which was I'm Coming Out by Diana Ross. Um, because have you ever heard an intro that, like, teases you more than that yeah. intro? You, f- you think it's going to start? It's not. Is it? No. And then when it comes in, when everything comes in, it's such a joyous, mm. almost, like, religious experience. Do you know what I mean? Um the drums toy with you, the guitar toys, it's all just toying with you like yeah. constantly. And it goes on for longer than you think, similar to um, uh, thinking of you, um, yeah. you know, uh, that feeling of like, don't worry, this is one of the greatest songs of all time. <laughs> so we're going to, we're really going to, we're really going to build it up. I just, I just love it. Um, and I no, love Niall seeing- Rogers knows what he's doing, right? Uh, he knows what he's doing. I mean, he he, he he's in. And uh, when I was thinking of other songs, he's he's involved in one of the other ones, which is "Let's Dance." Yeah, of oh, course. Much quicker mm. in terms of an intro, but just does that thing of like, "Come on, here we go!" Uh, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I had to give that one an honourable mention, along with "Don't Stop Me Now" by Queens. Freddie is just like too much on that intro. <laughs> like, you ever play that song? 
everything stops. Yeah. Just watch everybody, like everything stops. And people who you thought would never dance to Queen ever yeah. are suddenly like flouncing around. <laughs> it feels though with that beginning of the intro of, of Don't Stop Me Now, it's like it's just winding you up. And then the minute it drops, it's just such urgency, isn't it? it oh my God, yeah, yeah. Like, such yeah. a release. Which is like sex, do you know what I mean? Like I think that song is is so much about his sexuality and expressing his desires and fantasies and how it's going to be a two-way thing with you and him. And then by the end, you've turned. Do you know what I mean? You're like, Freddie, do what you like to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm coming out. <laughs> I'm, I'm coming out. Uh, um, and, but yeah, he's so, he's so smart and so, so evocative. It is like sex. It's like the foreplay of the intro into this like frantic, you know, like he says, two, 200 degrees. That's why they call me Mr. Fahrenheit. He's like... He's moving at the speed of light. It's it's in-, in in regards to sort of intros, uh, Ben. Like, how have you? How much sort of uh, when I have sort of songwriters on, I'll, I'll talk to songwriters at, at length about trying to hook people quickly. But just for experiences of, of you know stand up or or or, or, or sort of any sort of spoken word or, or or rap. Like, do you try and pull them right from the beginning, or do you sort of you know how how do you work it? I do both. I do both. And, and, and there's no, I don't think there's a secret formula as such. I think it's all about the courage of your convictions and the confidence. So sometimes I'll have a rambling opening to a stand up before it gets like really bombastic and it can, it can kill or die really. And I realize it's not about the the strength or weakness of the writing. It's it's more about um, how I approached it. So my body language when I walked on stage just wasn't quite there. Do you know what I mean? I, the intensity wasn't quite there. The importance, I wasn't getting across the importance of what I was trying to say clearly enough. And then, therefore, when I get into the first like sort of big set piece moment, people are like, yeah, it's, it's all right. Do you know what I mean? Whereas if you, <laughs> you rev them up, they're going to love that moment. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's similar in music, you know. Sometimes sometimes I would love writing a rap song where the first thing you hear is 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 like everything. The voice, the drums, the bass. It's a like bang straight in. And, and other times it just feels like the right thing to do is to, is to creep up on the listener, you know. Um. But yeah, like I say, I don't think there's any formula other than the courage of your convictions. If you if you do something with a shitload of confidence and energy and belief and, and, and feel like you're actually enjoying what you're doing, people just come on board. They're just yeah. like, oh man, I, like, I don't know this guy, but I want to be a part of this. Yeah, yeah. You know? Okay. I'm going to take you back now, Ben. And uh, for track two, I'm going to ask you please to tell me the first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. Yeah, it's a great question, and, and probably the easier, easiest one to answer because it's chronological. You know, um, you, you don't. I won't have multiple answers. Um, so this is is a, it's a reggae song called "Greetings" by Half Pint, um, and you know, being little in the in the eighties, um, I was exposed to a lot of. I was very lucky, really. I was exposed to a lot of good music by both my parents. With my dad, he was into. Uh, folk and jazz and my mum was into um reggae rare groove and and like soul you know um 
And I think 80s reggae is probably one of the most underrated eras of of any genre, like but particularly when people think about reggae, they think about either the, you know, the glory days of the sixties and seventies, or they think about, you know, the sort of modern revival. Sure. Um, and the eighties does, doesn't really get much of a look in, but there's some great reggae in the eighties, man. And, and unlike other genres, I think it ages, ages really well. Like when you think of like pop in the eighties and rock music and, um, you know, even, even hip hop, you know, there's, there's, there's obviously there's classic moments, but a lot of it's dated quite badly and the, 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 the sound of it and the technology around it and all of that. But a lot of the reggae still sounds fucking great. And, yeah. um, greetings is one of those. It's just, uh, it's, I think for, first off, not knowing what the song's about, cause you're just a little toddler it just sounds joyous. And, and, and when you listen to the chorus, just, just <laughs> half pint, just saying greetings for an inc- incredibly long amount of time. Greetings I bring from Ja. And then he goes, whoa, ragamuffin, ooh wee. And when you're a little kid, just those words sound funny, you know, and, and, and you want to sing along to it. So I think that was the first time I really remember having something that was played all the time that I was like, oh, I love this one. I don't know what it is. don't know what the genre is. don't know who this is, Half Pint. Um, but his voice sounds, like, infectious. And the words are funny. Like, what's a ragamuffin? You know, yeah. who's Jar? Like, <laughs> these, are, these are questions I need answered. <laughs> so that emotion would have been joy? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, because when you wake up or you go into the kitchen and your your, your mom or your dad is like, bumping some tunes yeah i think from a kid's perspective it's like oh this is gonna be a good day yeah. you know when there's tension in your house and it's like there's been an argument or some shit like yeah. that or your, your parents going through money worries or whatever it might be there's no music in the house and you're just like oh this is gonna be a shit saturday yeah <laughs> you know but you come you come into the house and there's music playing and dancing around and stuff you're thinking oof, this is gonna be a fun day i could get away with loads of stuff today <laughs> nice. <laughs> where was home ben Back then, it would have been on a council estate called Athelstan Gardens in Kilburn, northwest London. Um, so it was a very little flat, so it was easy to fill with with good music. Yeah, and you could hear good music from other flats as well. You know, in the summer, if everyone's windows were open. Fond memories of those times. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like I think often people talk about like council estate life as this kind of oh, that was when I had it so rough and but I I just remember loving the feeling of being around people all the time and not being cut off or or isolated and just the range of of people that were there you know um and the music that was big in that area at the time that I think was scarred it was like a lot of scar music Mm. so I was exposed to that very early on as well which is also kind of joyful and bouncy and very kind of unifying, you know, the whole two-tone movement was very much sort of based around the philosophy of black and white uniting, which is obviously like what my family was. I had yeah. black and white people in my family. So, yeah. Yeah. There was a huge surge in, you know, in the early eighties, wasn't there? And, and, and certainly in sort of, you know, I mean, madness surely couldn't have been too far from Kilburn, right? 
Yeah, in fact, um, I was listening as a fantastic, not to uh, sell someone else's podcast, but there's a fantastic <laughs> six-part series that anyone who's interested in music should listen to, which is called Suggs. Suggs is Love, Love Letters to London. And each episode, he talks about a different area that's important to him. And uh, it, he mixes his own personal stories with cultural history of the area. Um, so there's loads if you like facts and you like the history of London it's, it's brilliant on that level but in the one uh, about Hampstead he name checks my secondary school where he said he used to bunk off at his school I think he was at maybe Ackland Burnley or William Ellis or something uh, this is, I'm talking about Camden here um, for those that don't know uh, and he would come to Hampstead school where I went um, because that's where all the cool kids were, like all the all the the proper dossers, the artists, the 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 druggies, the the wild kids. Um, There's no uniform, you know, and that really was that, like hearing him say that. I was like, oh wow, like Suggs used to come to my school, like, and he didn't even go to his school. He did, you know, he bunk off his school to come to my school, and that was very much the vibe I remember from from Hampstead. It was a, it was a pretty wild, comprehensive, cool place to go. Well, let's let's stick on schools, um, and I'm going to ask you for track three, Ben. Tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school, please. Yeah, I had two here. I think the most evocative is Hannah and Gabby by the Lemonheads because when I listen to that now, it really does transport me back, and it has a nostalgic feel to it as as a song. Um, my obsession with the Lemonheads began around. 91 92 and i've just it's never ever faded i don't have that with many bands i'm, I'm with you brother i'm exactly uh, the same like, really and I, I very rarely meet anybody who gives a shit about the lemon heads yeah. i guess they're bigger in other countries but um if my daughter was born a boy it was going to be evan 100 percent. like wow. i'm obsessed with okay. that band mate yeah, I, I'm, I'm the same. I always have been. And I, I just rarely get to share it with anyone. I've got two friends. My friend Andy Burrows, who's a, who's a musician, um, who's obsessed with the Lemonheads. So we often geek out about it. And then randomly, the the movie critic, Mark Kermode, um, is also... Really? A, yeah, so we geek out as well. Um, but other than that, like, none of my friends, like, no, no. I, they were just my little sort of secret. And um, that album... Uh, Ben, he's like the it's best a shame about summer Ray. album ever. Yeah, I mean, I listen to It's a Shame About Ray and Come On Feel the Lemonheads all the time, but especially in the summer, yeah. and have done every year since it came out. Like, it's <laughs> never faded. I've never, like, left them behind. They, those songs stay with me. And even, like, Car Button Cloth and, oh. and, and that, you know, a lot of their old stuff, you know, Um and, and all the different incarnations, but I suppose my favourite incarnation is is when you've got Juliana Hatfield doing her little, did you her little PVs and harmonies? Did you go to the show? At, is it at the? I've never seen them. Oh, I, I mean, I've seen my them. Go on, sorry. No, it's just my biggest regret. Especially, I heard that. Uh, Dando came and did a shame about Ray, like an anniversary show, like just a couple years ago. And yeah, I, I was I, at the I, forum. I went to that man. It was fucking uh, you know, you awesome. know, when you see the poster like three weeks later, and you're like, yeah. what the fuck? Like, how? If I had <laughs> friends, they would have told me. You know, he looked fucking incredible as well. Considering he's had his problems, 
Like he looked, but like, mild. He looked incredible, and then I saw him uh, on the South, South Bank Centre. I'm sure it was there, um, and he come over just him and him with an acoustic, and Juliana Hatfield with her acoustic, and oh mate, that was that was something special. That was. Oh, you know what? I don't even want to hear it because my life is not complete without seeing the Lemonheads. I really, really need to get it done. You know, I'm at that point with that band where, like, I'll travel. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's, it's that level of fandom. Same. I have the same thing for the Strokes. I'll go, like, wherever they're playing, like, I will buy a plane ticket and go if I have to. You know, I saw the Strokes are doing one UK date this year. You know where it is? Preston. Shut up. Preston. Yeah. Preston. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, I guess I'm going to Preston. <laughs> What's the thinking behind that? I mean, nothing no against idea. Preston. It must be money. It just must be money. Someone's got a lot of money, I guess. Wow. One day, Preston. <laughs> um, what was your honourable mention, Ben? Uh, the World is Yours by Nas. And yes. I think it's it's got... Um, a sim, not the, the one similarity it has with Hannah and Gabby is it, there's a nostalgic feel to that as well, and it's very is that it's very much about kids. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's a it's saying go go grab it, you can get it. It's an incredibly positive song, incredibly evocative, and also like it's my first girlfriend. She she played me that song, you know. We used to listen to it quite a lot, and that that feeling of that that first summer, your first girlfriend, you know, losing your virginity, and just feeling like the world is yours, like the world is your oyster, like that that song always always takes me back to that summer when I was when I was fifteen, sixteen years old, just unreal. How was school? Yeah, it had its ups and downs. I loved primary school. I was just like the don in primary school, so I think it was quite difficult for me. Um, to go from that little primary school into this big sprawling. I mean, Hampstead Comp was huge. T- 10 form or 11 form entry. So there's like 11 classes in a year. Wow. I mean, that is gigantic. So, I, you know, I meet people online all the time who are like, oh, I was in your year. You remember me? And I'm like, shit. <laughs> no, remember how big that school was? Um, uh uh, and you know, I had had my problems in the first first three years. I, I suffered with quite a bit of bullying, like here and there, and it made me sort of retract into myself quite a bit. And I just had a couple of friends, and you know, that's all you need if you've got like a couple of good friends, you can get by. So there's like five of us, and, I, and we were very like isolated. But then, you know, like I say you bust that first nut and you sort of like get a bit more confident. Um, and by sort of like year nine, 10 sort of come out my shell a, a lot more. And what really is amazing about that school is hang out, not just that my little group of five, there's probably about 35, 40 of us who still hang out and still party. Like we had a house party a couple of weeks ago. It was wild. Like people were dancing from like the second we turn the music on, you know, and there's a lot of DJs amongst us as well, yeah. you know, so it's good music. It's like 7 p.m. There's food, barbecue in the garden, set up turntables out there. As soon as the turntables went on, people just dashed the food away, just dancing. It was like a full on rave. And that's why I love those guys, man, because we've never, we've never lost that. Yeah. And as long as we stay together, it's never embarrassing. 
you know what I mean? It is for our kids, but obviously. <laughs> <laughs> what did you um what did you want to be when you was at school? I wanted to be an actor. Yeah. I mean when I was really little, I I wanted to it, it, like be in Star Wars. I wanted to live in the world of Star Wars or be a milkman. <laughs> and I, I, <laughs> Quite separate things. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, being in the world of Star Wars quickly translated into wanting to act. And I remember having that emotion like age seven, you know, wanting to, knowing that I wanted to be an actor. And I kept that going all the way to university and then I lost I just lost something that first year. I just hated the course. And I was just like, no one becomes an actor. Like, it's just stupid. Just stop pissing about. So I just dropped out. And who, who, who was like, who was you, you know, who made it think, uh, who, who, who made it, you know, made you think that people from where I come from can become actors. Was there anybody that you'd look up to that would, you know, that had come from no, where you'd I, come I, from? I, I, no, it was completely the opposite. I thought people from where I come from do not make it. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So stop lying to yourself. Right. And, and I, I would have been 19 or 20 at that time. And I think part of it was like my influences as well. You know, my mates got high, listened to hip hop, ch- chase girls, it just didn't seem cool to go and do breathing exercises and then you know, pretend to be a sure. tree or anything. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so that there was partly the peer pressure and partly that thing of like, you know, people from where I'm from do not get into that world. Like, so forget about it. So actually it was, it wasn't any actors. It was my sister because a couple of years later, she sold a story to um, Penguin Random House and, and put out a book that like blew the world away. And she became one of the most famous writers in the world. It was just like, okay, well, hold on, anything's possible. And it didn't really click with me for another seven or eight years because I actually I went into youth work and I was doing that until I was 29. Um, but the whole time I was thinking, one day I've got to like try, like I've just got to try. Uh, and actually the, the final kind of... Uh, 
trigger was my second daughter. So um, my missus was pregnant with the second. And I just, I just suddenly thought, if you don't try, you're never going to know. And then you're going to be one of them dads that's like, oh, God, I would have made it. Little shits. Yeah, the sacrifices I made for you. And I just thought, I'm not going to be that guy. And I just quit my job and I just went for it. And it was mad because I had two kids. Yeah. <laughs> but I was just like, no, that's a reason. That's the reason to do it. It's not the reason not to do it. It's the reason to do it. Like, I, ha- I have to win. Yeah. I have to make this work. There is no plan B now. I, I, it's, either, it's either this or, or nothing. And that pressure that I put on myself, it just worked really well. Where do you think the sort of self-confidence comes from to, to, to go from, you know, doubting yourself and thinking to people from, you know, where I, I know you mentioned your daughter, but like, where, you know, would you say that you're a confident person still? Yeah. Yeah. I have, I'm not, a, funnily enough, I'm not that confident, like socially all the time, but I have a massive amount of belief in my ability if given the opportunity and I love surprising people. Like that's my favorite thing to do, to to do something where people are like, oh my God, so wait, he can do this. And I'm like, yeah, motherfucker, I can do that because I've worked really hard at it. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not a chancer, you know. Um, so I have a lot of confidence in my ability uh, and I don't have a massive fear of failure. I've, I've, I, 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 I fail all the time, just like everybody else, but... I find it an incredible boost to get it right the next time. So anytime I do have a failure or a disappointment, the next thing I do is almost always one of the best things I've done so far. It's a bit like, if you ever see like Man City lose, like if your team's about to play Man City and they lose the game before they play your team, you're fucked. (laughs) You're fucked. You're not going to have another off day like that. They're going to, to you now you know yeah. just they're angry about failing last week and I'm a bit like that um uh, I'm very determined and I, and I think that that must come from my parents I think my parents were both quietly heroic in the face of incredible adversity do you know what I mean my dad was on the beaches of Normandy in the second world war as a teenager to survive that by the skin of his teeth go through what he went through I, it's impossible to get my head around and my mum you know being part of that second wave after Windrush coming over as a teenager she came alone do you know what I mean like that, the, what those two did alone against all the odds it's kind of remarkable so I think what me and Zadie have done alone is it's interesting and it's 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 seems quite unique and it might seem amazing or remarkable to others but to us it's like it kind of pales in comparison sure (laughs) you know we feel like we're both just at play basically we've never really grown up we just keep playing um because our parents had that thing of anything's a bonus and you hear that from a lot of people like immigrants or working class people you know the children of those people will often have a thing where they won't focus on struggle or money or poverty or prejudice or racism or anything like that. They'll focus on the fact that any little gain is like a huge, huge bonus. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, And I I find that endlessly interesting. 
I'm going to ask you for track four. Mm. Uh, ben, I'm going to see uh, the first song you remember buying from a record store. Yeah, I'll never forget it because there was a shop. I, one thing I have forgotten is the name of this shop. And it's, it's, it feels like it's always on the tip of my tongue and I can never quite recall. And I always ask my sister and she can't remember because we used to get a pound pocket money on a Saturday. And there was a lot you could do with a pound in the 80s. So what I would often do is I'd get a chunky milky bar, chunky, not even the, the flat one, can of D&G ginger beer and the Beano, all for a pound. Good times, mate. Good times. Um, and that was my Saturday sorted. But then Zadie started getting into vinyl. Uh, my Both my parents were into vinyl anyway, so we'd often like sneak listens of theirs. But, you know, parents do not like you messing with records so we just started she started buying her own and and we'd make little tapes and stuff uh and i was like you know what let me come with you and she showed me like you could get um seven inches for 99p in this shop and you could get um singles for i think 69p singles one song on a tape <laughs> um and they'd be in those little paper sleeves. You oh, mate, my first cassette single, Funky Comedina. See, this is so much cooler than what I'm about to say. <laughs> <laughs> so this record shop was great. They had, like, alternative stuff, but they'd also have the chart in seven-inch or cassette single form. So, and obviously we watched a lot of Top of the Pops, and I just don't know why this was my first purchase. To this day, I'm not sure. I don't remember loving the song on Top of the Pops or whether it was the cover, I think the cover was really shit as well. It was She Makes My Day by Robert Palmer. <laughs> not even a good Robert Palmer song. I mean, he's, fair play, he's got some good songs, but that's not one of them. I just, I just don't know why I bought it, but I can't lie, that was the first one. Have you heard it, like, recently? No, I've heard it probably since I was a kid. Because that just makes me think of my youth club at school, that. That must have been, I must have been about 15, 16 when that came out. And... And I thought, oh, do you know what? I ain't heard that since then. And when I got your list sent over, I thought, all right, okay. oh, wow, I forgot about that one. Because there's so many Robert Smith, uh, sorry. Uh, uh, I think it was Robert Smith, that would have been cool. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> and, uh, and I slang it on, and I was like, do you know what? It's, it's not, it's all right. It's not too bad. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Holds up all right. Holds up all right. All right. Um, okay. I mean, and then as you got older, and you, you know, you, you you, you, you know, you fall in love with hip hop and, uh, and 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 all sorts. You know, as you get older, you then get in, involved in so many different movements and music. Of course, and yeah. such. How important did the record shop become for you then? Yeah, I mean, it became it became not quite a mecca because it didn't it never had a lot of hip hop, but it became incredibly important because I loved all sorts of music. So uh, the, the, for guitar music, there was so many options in there all the time and they kept their prices really, really low. So I guess, you know, being in Wilsdon, there, it's not like there was a million record shops there. So they didn't have a lot of competition. They, they did quite well. And then when it closed, I was, I was devastated, man. It was really sad to see it go. But by then, of course, uh, I mean, by the time I was like, 16 17 i was already going all over london to find records yeah so it, and that obsession began with that little record shop in wilsdon but it ended with me knowing intricately if every shop in in the city um you know it was it was you know it was 
religious the way I practiced it, you know, making enough money, saving enough to go every Saturday, you know, start off because I lived so close to, to Grove at the time, go down to Labrick Grove, like start probably at Honest John's and then just weave my way up Portobello Road to the secondhand places up in Notting Hill. Then keep going up into the West End, hit Soho. I mean, keep going up towards Euston, hit Camden, uh, go down to Brixton. I, I, just, I just did it every week. It's amazing. I didn't stop until my first daughter was born in 05. Without us sort of moving into sort of granddad territory, do you think do you think that there's something lost about that kind of journey Absolutely. that you don't get with Spotify and, and stuff? There's Absolutely. loads of bonuses obviously with that, but do you think there's something lost there? Absolutely. And and I I don't, I, I think I used to be shy of saying it for fear of sounding old, but now I just think prove me wrong. Like yeah. I'll wait. Do you know what I mean? Because you cannot compare the experience uh, for one very very basic reason like the search you have to use your wits uh, and you have to gain that knowledge do you know what I mean you've got to read these line notes there's a lot more work there's a lot more involvement and then the joy of finding the thing that you are searching for you cannot a kid that says no I get exactly the same joy from typing in the name of the person that I know I'm looking for and getting the song immediately is no comparison. And I don't need to worry about sounding like a granddad because my kids have already started to realize that. So the younger one is actually really into, they're both into CDs, which is interesting. They both collect CDs now. Um, But the younger one has started to take an interest in my vinyl uh, collection. So she'll go down and I've got like a, bluetooth um turntable like in the middle of a massive wall of vinyl so it's really easy for her to just go and try a record out and like as long as you put them back uh, like knock yourself out and she's fascinated by them you know she and she'll still every now and again like so so wait a minute how does the sound go through the knee no no, no, no. don't ask ask any questions nobody knows even the people that invented it, I think maybe they did it by accident. No one knows, okay? I don't want to know. Um, and then, yeah, sometimes, you know, I, I see her sat there, like, reading the liner notes, like, lost in the gatefold. And it's an incredibly proud moment yeah. because I think kids are getting to that point where it's like, we want to we know who this MP3 is. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. You, can't, you can't live your life as a music fan going, oh, what's your favourite song on this album? Oh, track six, track six. Yeah. What's that called? I don't know. Track six. Track yeah. six is the one. You know, I think they want to get closer to the artists that they love, which is why the explosion of live is just phenomenal. You know, yeah. live music is where it's at and, and the kids can actually properly connect. Um, one thing I'd like to see more of is listing the writers and producers and and, and locations of recording on the streaming services. I don't know why they can't do that. It seems yeah. easy. You can list the bloody lyrics and have them timed so it's like karaoke surely you can credit like everybody who worked on the song and just tell me where it was recorded i think that'd be interesting to fans so massively um, because you know you you say about you know your children sort of devouring the gatefold and stuff like that that was that was a weekly thing you know if you got your record that way you'd read everything and like 
and then sit back and read and yeah. read and read. And then once you've ingested all of that information, you can bring the needle back and then properly listen to it. That was, that was a little ritual for me. I loved doing it. Yeah. And, 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 and you learn stuff that helped you progress your knowledge and dare I say it like coolness mm-hmm. around the world of music because you'd see, Oh, this is produced by that guy. Where do I know that name from? And you scramble through, get the record. And I said, oh, I knew it was him. And then you're like, ah, oh, I can spot without even reading I, this record that my friend's playing. I reckon that's produced by this guy. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'll just yeah. make a bet with myself and you, you know, go and check out the, the, his vinyl and you're like, shit, same producer. So like you, you start to create, a knowledge of music that is a level deeper than than a casual listener. And one of the things, I mean, I've done over 400 of these episodes now, and one of the things I, I really love is, especially on this question, is people can generally remember the journey as well of getting that record, where yeah. they went to get yeah. it. And, yeah. and, and it's that that builds that attachment. And like, and 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 it's it's you know it's it's quite a romantic kind of thing to sort of look back and uh, and and picture and remember. And I think that's something that's lost now. Which I think you know you're not going to you know remember. Oh, that time I went on Spotify and I first heard that. <laughs> you know, I guess it's going to be there in some way, shape, or form. But it's not going to have that attachment like no. the journey attached to buying no. something. Uh, you know, but. Uh- absolutely and i i remember so many stories especially ones where it was like in another country you know that feeling of like finding familiarity in somewhere so foreign because yeah. was was really special um i used to get a magazine called hip-hop connections like a english magazine that's kind of like quite cheap quite shit but um you know you, you could get some bits of key bits of knowledge from it for me there was one issue that had like a page that just listed all the record shops in New York. And I was like, one day I'll go to New York and I'll just visit all of these. And my uncle moved from Jamaica to the Bronx. And I went over with my mum first time in 95. Um, so I was about, what was I? I was like 16, 17. And, um, I'd been to see the Beastie Boys at Brixton Academy a couple that, of weeks before. That'd do, wouldn't it? Oof, that was good on the Ill Communication oh, Tour. Yes, please. And we were traveling from my mum's friends in Virginia through uh, Philadelphia up to New York on the train. So most people arrive in New York first time at JFK or whatever at Newark. Um, I arrived on the train at Penn Station. And I walked up the steps. So my first view of Manhattan was like coming up the steps, looking out. And I had my little piece of paper and I, I knew roughly where we were. So I was saying to my mom, can we go to the village first? There's this one shop I want to go to. She was like, okay, cool. And can we, I said, can we walk? So I can just take in everything. So we walked towards the village from Penn Station. And I'm not bullshitting you for about 20 minutes. And I, physically bumped into mca from the beast shut up yeah and i was just in awe i mean i i was wearing like skate shit like i was basically dressed like uh, i was mike d at a fancy dress party yeah i mean i peroxided cut cut off my dreads and i had like peroxided my hair like this length to look like mike d had a little like polo shirt um vans you know backpack the whole nine 
and I just couldn't believe it. I was like, dude, I saw you in concert in London two weeks ago. And he's like, oh, that's awesome. And he was like, oh, man. He's like, I'm so glad I'm off tour. I can't. He was, he was heading off to um, go snowboarding. He's like, it's so hot in the city. I can't wait to go. He's like super friendly. And I got my my mum to take a photo, you know, and obviously way like 20 years before smartphones. So you just like, please don't fuck this photo up. <laughs> and then you've got to wait like two weeks. Yeah. You're not going to develop it in New York. You'll wait till you get home. Don't lose the film, you know, and it came out and it was perfect. And if anyone's really interested, it's worth scrolling down my Instagram page until you find that photo because it was a magical moment. And then, uh, so I started this record shop, Troll. <laughs> Went up to my uncle's in the Bronx. And he was like, the next day he was like, oh, so what are you going to do today? I said, oh, I'm going to this next one on my list. It's called um, Beat Street. He was like, what's that? I was like, oh, it's like a hip, it's a dedicated hip hop record shop. He goes, where's it at? I go, oh, it's on, I'm reading like Fulton Avenue in Brooklyn. And he just looked at me. And then he goes, <laughs> he laughs like that and he picks up the phone. You know, multiple American phones with a long cable. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, yo, he goes, yo, yo, Clayton, what up? Yeah, yeah. Yo, you good? Yeah, I'm going to see you. I'm going to see you. He goes, yo, listen, my British ass nephew think he going Fort Nav. Who you got down there? <laughs> he goes, all right, all right, boom. And he hangs up. And he goes, all right, there's going to be two guys, one dread, that will be waiting at the station on top of the steps. Yeah, and you see them, say, say you're uh, say you're my nephew, and uh, and they'll walk you down there. I'm like, I don't need fucking my hand held going to shop from London. Do you know what I mean? I got out of Fulton Ave, and I was like, oh, shit, this is the fucking hood. This is the hood. And, you know, people just stare at you. This was, I mean... I've got a brother-in-law who lives at the end of Fulton Ave now in Park Slope. Dude, it's like, it's unrecognizable now. It's so posh. It's like you're, you're trying to spot black people. Do you know what I mean? Back then, 95, it was black. I mean, it wasn't even Latino. Like, it was just black. So people would talk to me in Spanish and shit because I was light-skinned, you know? And it was hairy. Like, I just want to get me in the shop, get me in the shop, bought a shitload of records and, and then went back. But yeah, like New York in those days was like different planet, different planet. Right. Ben, I'm going to take you clubbing. Tell mm. me the song that soundtrack your years clubbing, please. Yeah. Well, this one, I thought it was fair to choose three songs because I didn't just rave to one music, you know? Okay. So like, hip hop raves is really in inverted commas because there weren't really many of them. It was more like R and B nights that would play a bit of hip hop, but probably the best of them I would say was rotation under the West way, uh, in Labrick Grove, a club called Subterranean. And you had like DJ Femi Femme and people like that. And it was like Friday nights. And there was a bar next to Labrick Grove station, which is now like a Sainsbury's local. And it was called something terrible, like ice or blue or something like that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and we would go in there and I've already described like my friends, like when I was that age, we were quite sort of, we were quite bummy and we, we were just like weed heads, you know, we weren't cool. Um, we weren't like, not like the garage boys who like all dressed up in a shop. We weren't like that. So we'd have to go to this bar and try and chat up like these girls, like, you know, 
dressed up to the nines, look amazing, kind of rude girls as well, you know, like way too cool for us. And just sort of be lame and say, look, do you mind there's five of us and they're not going to let us in like as a group of bummy guys. Like, do you mind walking in with me? Do you know what I mean? And try and make them laugh. Say, like, I'll get you a drink and then I will leave you the fuck alone. I'm not going to cramp your style in the, in the rave. <laughs> yeah, try and make them laugh. And every now and again, you might even get a little, you know, they might like you and you get a little kiss or a little a little dance or something. Uh, but most of the time, they, they would either just say, get the fuck away from me or, okay, we'll walk in, but do not touch me do not talk to me (laughs) (laughs) i didn't mind so yeah we go in there get in there and buy our two little drinks or whatever we could afford but yeah when mo money mo problems came on by biggie i mean that was such a mo song like around the world like biggie was just on this incredible high you know Uh, he'd done so many amazing features after his first album and he was clearly at that time the, the biggest rapper in the world. And when that song dropped, and hit, especially when his verse drops, it was just like, what? We used to love every, you see the whole club would be rapping the Biggie verse. Do you know what I mean? It still happens now. You see it drop now, 25 years later, you still see like everybody raps that Biggie verse. Sometimes yeah. DJs just play the Biggie verse, start, yeah, 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 yeah. start the Biggie verse. Do you know what I mean? So that song really lives long in the memory and of course not long after he was gone and so it, it made, makes it made it sort of poignant you know more su- the more success you have the more issues you have is what he was trying to say on the song and of course that was prescient like that's that's what happened to him um so it's kind of poignant as well as as just being brilliant as a, as a little side note actually they used to have live shows at, uh that same venue at subterranea and early in 98 um my sister was like, oh, I've got, uh, I'm going to get tickets um, for Eminem, this this new rapper. And I was like, yeah, I heard like the Just the Two of Us. I'd heard that little EP. I was like, yeah, no, I wasn't sure. I didn't have much money. I said, no, you go. I'll, I'll catch him next time. <laughs> and she went with my little brother, Luke. And uh, it was an amazing show by all accounts, you know, like 200 people. I think he Eminem. went out, he went out the door, right, didn't he? And yeah, like, catch him the next time. It was like fucking Neb work or, <laughs> Milton Dubai or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, yeah. So the hip hop would, would have been, um, would have been Mo Money and Mo Problems. Um, Garage, you know, that, that Garage and Jungle, that was to me, that was like real, real raving. Do you know what I mean? Like where it's all just about just dancing, 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 you know, and um, so London as well, isn't it? Yeah. Jungle was really special to me. And so is Garage because, they're really ours. Like hip hop will never be ours. It'll be something that we'll always sort of have to be kind of fans of. Um, but jungle was ours. And I used to go to blue note in, um, uh, Hoxton square and, um, for these metalheads nights and just, uh, man, the, the, the feeling of the bass dropping in, in jungle is like nothing else in the world. And I loved the way that you could bop to it. Do you know what I mean? Like hip-hop and garage, I felt more pressure to look cool. But Jungle, I didn't have to worry because you can either like do a proper like one-foot skank and like be bouncing around like a maniac or you can sort of bop to it like you were to reggae at half the speed, you know? And I loved that. Uh, I loved the sort of the nuances of dancing to Jungle and my song would be probably, it's a bit corny now, but 
burial by Leviticus, like big, bad and heavy, you know, when that, that dropped and it, it was one that everybody could sort of sing along to is quite easy. Whereas like, if you've got a jungle MC on it, no one's rapping along with a jungle MC. Yeah. <laughs> They're way too fast. Um, so it was like a fun one to dance to. I really remember that well. And then for Garage, it would have to be Gabriel by Roy Davis Jr. Nice. Because it's not even the most garagey Garage song, really. It sort of gets tied into Garage because it was always played at Garage Raves. Um, but it's actually more of like a soulful house tune, yeah. I think, I would say. But there's something about that song. To me, that song is ethereal. It's like um, it's like it's like hearing Bob Marley say, "Like one good thing about music, when it hits, you feel no pain." Is it's like such a celebration of everything that we love about music. That song, guy's got a beautiful voice. Um, he's singing about the energy that we share, the love that we share for music and for each other. It's like incredibly positive, uplifting. It, the beat's fucking hard as hell. Yeah. And yet, like, you can play that song to anybody who, like, any type of music, like, the, the, they, don't, they all say that I don't like house or whatever, like, play it to anybody. And I I would really struggle to find someone who goes, mate, can you turn that out? It's fucking shit. Can you yeah. turn that noise? Do you know what I mean? It's just so, it's like a big hug, that song. Yeah. It's like welcoming, like open arms. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Come and enjoy this moment with me. Uh, it's a really special song for me, that one. Um, so, yeah. Before I get on to, to track six, I, I just want to ask you, um, we, we spoke about confidence, and, and Ben, you've chose you know, a career path in industries, whether it be music, acting, that are all famously you know, comedy, like all famously very difficult to, you know, Absolutely, sustain and maintain that that you know a, a career within mm-hmm. within that, and 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 you've done that. So, what I want to ask you is, confidence aside, tell me about your relationship with drive. With drive, how driven are you? How driven am I? Okay, cool. Um, I say it's kind of off the scale. 
<laughs> like I, I am very dangerous to myself when I'm when I'm bored or when I don't feel like there's anything to do. Uh, and I mean dangerous because I have. I don't suffer from anxiety. I've never had that issue. I have a lot of friends who do, but I'm, I'm prone to uh, depression and um, uh, being really, really hard on myself. Um, and the being hard on yourself is, is quite handy when you're, when you're working because you, you strive for excellence. When you're not working, you develop this voice in your head like sometimes I'll, I'll actually say on my own out loud, shut up or like leave me alone. Do you know what I mean? Because I say such negative things to myself and the more time I have, the more that occurs and the harder it hits. So if I have one addiction in my life now, it is, it is work. Like I, I, I work all the time. People are like, when the hell do you sleep? And I'm like, to be honest, I don't actually sleep that much. Yeah. I go to bed quite late and I wake up super early. You know, I wake up like five, six a.m. Not even to do anything. I don't exercise. I don't write or create anything. But it's like my brain is just like, we need to get, we need to get started. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I'll just, I'll just get up and do like a wordle or something. Do you know what I mean? But I'm up. Do you, do you ever have a day off? Mm. Yeah, yeah, I do. Like today is kind of a day off. I'm just doing interviews, so it's like there's not that much to think about. So I've got a day off from filming, and I'm back filming tomorrow. But like in forced days off, I do make the effort to to go right. Come on, just have a relaxing day. Yeah. But normally that needs to be with somebody else because then I really will just switch off. Yeah, like if sure. I'm with somebody else, I won't look at my phone. I won't think about work just chat and catch up so like um but i don't holiday like i just can't relax it's terrible yeah. you know i look at everybody's like photos and oh, on this island i think oh, i'd love to go there that looks amazing but i get there and i'm like yeah i get it beach cocktail yeah great uh <laughs> you know I mean, I can, I, just like within 20 minutes i'm like i i get it is this i mean yeah. is this this is what it is relaxation i can't can't relax but obviously that's terrible for my kids because they deserve proper holiday so this this year i've actually just said to my whole team i'm not working these two weeks i don't give a fuck if steven spielberg calls yeah i've got to get the kids away somewhere and let them unwind do you know what I mean? it's yeah, not all yeah. about me do you know what I mean? so that's that's definitely happening in August so I'm looking forward to that I'm going to take you home uh, for track six and uh, I'm going to ask you for a favourite song from an artist from your home county please mate I love this from your home county it's so specific well let's get borough specific well do you know why that is Ben like because Mm. it was good so many people don't read the question right and always go country I'd say about 300 of the 400 have done country I definitely read it as country first time definitely but I, I started it purely because of a con- this this podcast. I started purely because of a conversation with Pip, because Pip lives where I live in Essex, and when Pip was having uh, his initial success in music, everybody was like, "So you're going to move to London?" And he's like, "No, why not? Like, you should move to London." And he's like, "Well, I live 25 minutes outside of London on a train." Like, and it was just that whole thing of like, why there's so much 
in the creative fields that you should relocate to London because that's where it's at. And I yeah. found that really fascinating to speak mm. to people then further afield as to why you sort of bucked that trend to, to move to London. Um, but, but yeah, so that's why it come about because it was going to be more sort of county based, but I left that question in because I, I quite like to sort of take people home towards the end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll go Camden and um, say Amy Winehouse, Love is a Losing Game, which is possibly my favourite song of all time. I mean, it's very hard, obviously, to pick one. But I say it might be my favourite of all time because there's only a few songs where if they play like out of a flipping cafe or if they pop up on shuffle on my phone or they're in a TV show, everything stops like for two and a half minutes i am nowhere else other than enjoying that song start to finish you know there's not that many songs that do that to me but that's one of them you know in my life by the beatles or um god only knows by the beach boys you know songs like that babylon system by bob marley like there, there's a there's a few songs where it's just like whoa whoa whoa, whoa. Even if you're with other people, no, dude, you're going to have to shut the fuck up for two and a half minutes yeah. and really <laughs> let this play. And this is one of them, man. And like sometimes I listen to this song and I, I actually cry. Like there's not that many other songs that make me do that. Maybe It's All Over Now, Baby Blue by Bob Dylan because that was played at my dad's funeral like at his request. So that sometimes makes me well up. But Love is a Losing Game and it's not just because I had the privilege of knowing Amy and working with her and losing with losing her um, obviously makes it like that little bit more painful, but it's more just what she's saying, man. Like even if she was still here, that song would probably make me well up. Cause it's just, you know, we don't often get it right. You know, relationships, how we treat other people, how they treat us. We often make mistakes. No one really likes to admit it. We all like to put forward this thing of like, yeah, I'm just a fucking great guy and everybody loves me. I'm really popular. My life's amazing. Um, but there's something so raw and, and, and beautifully human about this song, the humanity of it, just saying, you know, we've, we tried and it's, we're just not that good at, at, at life. But we are trying. Do you know what I mean? That really strikes a chord with me, you know, because there's so much projection of perfection in, in, in human existence now that it just does my head in. I just think people are full of shit and I'm, I'm included in that. Do you know what I mean? But in my more lucid moments, I think embracing your shitness is actually a, a, a quite handy thing on your path to, to, to growing, to Absolutely. growth. Like I get stuff wrong, man. Like I, I think once you embrace your shitness, it makes really difficult things a bit easier as well. Like apologizing. It's incredibly hard to apologize. You, you, you'd be amazed. Like, or people would be amazed. Like how much, how quickly you revert to like your six year old self when you have to apologize. Just don't quite want to say it. Oh, I'm sorry. What? All right. I'm sorry. sorry. What are you sorry for? Oh, sorry for. Oh, sorry for. 
Sorry for stuff. Sorry for stuff that stuff that happened. You know, you, and you see it in the public eye. You know what the people always say, like politicians. I'm sorry, you were upset by that. I'm sorry, yeah, you. They're, they're never going to own it. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're upset. Yeah. I don't really give a fuck. Is what you're saying. Yeah. And I'm exactly. not sorry about anything. So, like a real honest apology. And there's something about that song where all of that is is unsaid it's, it's, it's in her voice it's, it's the lament it's you know she was a, a, like a manifestation of, of, of Billie Holiday you know and, and Nina Simone there's no doubt in my mind you know there's some kind of energy line running through to her from them and the the pain and the longing and the humanity in, in Billy and Nina is, 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 is so, is so there in, in love is a losing game. And it's, it's so frustratingly, but agonizingly short. It's like two minutes. That song. Yeah. It's just, as soon as this is started, it's over. Um, but that just adds to its enigma and its perfection. Yeah. Um, it's enough. It doesn't need to be any longer. It nah. does everything it needs to do, that record. Point's been made. I'm in fucking tears. <laughs> like, well done. You've done it. I mean, is for it, to me forever a, a mystery. I, I just, and I love it that way, you know. I like, I like mystery in, in music. I, I don't know. I mean, it's cool to have, like, the lyrics thing I was talking about on, on like, Apple Music you can sort of learn every word to everything but I also like the fact that I remember seeing an interview with Julian Casablancas where they were like what did you mean by this and he just shrugged he was like listen to the song <laughs> yeah. people thought a prick and it's like no like the song's the song yeah everything else is boring you know everything else is analytical and, and, and cold and scientific it's not what music is it's like Barry Cryer said about comedy, right? You know, he's asked, asked about the technicalities of, of how you do stand-up. And he said, um, said analysing comedy is a bit like dissecting a frog. No one laughs and the frog dies. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> yeah. And that's all, that's all you need to know. Like, it's like, let, let art be art enjoy it if it's if, if you got something from it you don't always have to work out why you got something from it why everybody else gets something from it i have my own relationship with love is a losing game like a christian has their own relationship with god you know they don't need necessarily to be in a church with uh, 150 people yeah they live with god you know and that's amazing and that's how i feel about a lot of art especially music like when Hannah and Gabby comes on, on like, I just need to stare out a window and I'm having a, so my own kind of religious moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Ben, you get to play tastemaker on the last track. And, Ooh, uh, and I'm going to ask you to tell our listeners a song that you think many may not know that you would like them to hear. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is completely random. I just went for the first one that came to mind but um, perhaps linked to the last selection in that it's another two-minute song. It's mm -hmm. only two minutes. It comes and it goes. 
and also kind of random in that I don't really like a lot of their other songs. Right. I just, I love indie music. And, and uh, when I used to do a lot of stand-up, uh, there was one gig I'd always go back to, which was the Glee Club in Cardiff. And there was a guy called Dale, who was a sound technician there. And he found out that I loved indie and he'd put, whenever I come, he'd put together playlists for me of stuff that I might not have heard. Cause like indie's the one genre. I, I don't know what I'm looking for. I don't know who's good. I don't, I just not that involved in it, but I love yeah. it. So I have to go to indie experts like Dale and say, look, I like the strokes. I like the Lemonheads. I like melodic kind of nursery rhymey stuff. Do you know what I mean? Can you help me out? And he would always just get me the best stuff. So he introduced me to lots of stuff, including this last song, which is by a group from Reading called Pete and the Pirates. I don't even know if they exist anymore, but um, they don't. Pete, no, they don't. Pete, Pete's got a, a little uh, vegan cafe in Reading. Uh, that sounds about right. <laughs> sounds about right because I don't like. I said I don't know anything about this band, but I know that Pete sounds like a vegan he sounds he sounds quite sort of delicate no offense to vegans but you know he's, he's got that thing of like and he sounds very very english and i do like things who sound like where they're from um and i don't know dale played me this song and i listened to it immediately i, I was like even before or after the gig and i was stood outside and i listened to it on my headphones from the first that it's so cold this morning, my breath comes out like steam. I was like, oh, his voice is really different. And where's he going with this? Um, and it's just like this frantic sort of run through his his mental state. And there's not, not even really a chorus or anything. But I just loved it immediately, immediately. So I bought the album, didn't really like, I liked one other song on it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah some of their other stuff and I was like yeah and then I think they stopped existing and I was like oh well that was just thing but it's something because just to create a song that I love that I've never nobody else I talked to has ever even so that's yeah. that was the first thing that came to mind honorable mention for another band that they'll put me on to which is the good shoes oh. who also don't exist anymore they're from Morden Morden and they are like the reincarnation of like Terry Hall and Glenn Tilbrook, like put together, they're amazing. I, I, I love Good Shoes, and I wish they existed. But um, yeah, they're they're a band that everyone should check out. But um, she doesn't belong to me. Something about it, man. <laughs> if you've ever had a woken up from a breakup feeling like brand new in lots of different ways, this is this is the song for you. Tilbrook, Tilbrook's got my my uh, my god only knows or or my in my life up the junction as joyous as that is yeah that should be on this list when i um, hear that that's in my top 10 songs of all time no hell problem. man break that me story enough. no chorus it's got no fucking chorus no chorus but every, every the inflection the tone the melodies are so that it's like doesn't matter it's got no chorus it's every line is a chorus yeah Perfect. And it's like a football chant, you know, it just goes round and around and around and around and around and around. But the story's fascinating. Yeah. It's very evocative. You can picture these moments, you know. It's funny, it's tragic. And uh, I've often said like Glenn Tilbrook was like my first my first UK rapper that I ever, you know, I mean, really fell in yeah. love with. So him and, and then Terry Hall, because 
I before them I'd never heard an English accent on something. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Even though the biggest bands in the world were from England. Yeah. You know, the, you know we don't need to look much further than the Beatles and the Stones, but like most singers up until that point sounded American. Yeah. Sang American. You know, it doesn't get much more British than uh, I never thought it would happen to me from Clapham. Well, I mean, <laughs> there's the, an intro right there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, that Tilbrook is very important to me as well, but just, just Britishness in, in colloquial terms in singing, I find really, um, empowering. Uh, and I, I've always thought of Scar and, and, and Squeeze and, and that stuff as like a precursor, the sort of missing link alongside, uh, you know, reggae and dance created, went on to create, you know, British rap, jungle, grime and garage. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. They're giving us, giving us a voice to be confident in our voice, you know, to throw smiley culture in there as well, you know. Absolutely. Um, ben, we put together a Spotify playlist uh, for people to go and listen to all of the songs um, oh, that, uh, that we've put together uh, and that you've recommended. Um, ben, as... As 2022's uh, gathering speed, now we're out of lockdown, gigs are happening, you know, comedy clubs are back open, film sets are open. What's happening? What you got coming up? Oh, man, it's like, it's mental, really. I'd, like I say, uh, I, I can't stop working. I just feel like a shark. If I stop swimming, I'm going to die. So um, I've got like a couple big things coming out. I've got a movie coming 15th of July. Netflix, which is an adaptation of Jane Austen's Persuasion, um, Dakota Johnson and Henry Golding, Cosmo. Um, it's going to be Cosmo Jarvis. It's, uh, I've just seen it and it's, re- it's really good. I'm really proud of it. I wouldn't often, I wouldn't normally watch a period movie. In fact, I never would. <laughs> but um, this one's really enjoyable, man. It's funny. Um, and uh, obviously it's a, it's a romance, but uh, I'm, I'm giving a pretty decent comic turn in it. Uh, it's a bit of comedy in. And then I suppose the big one will be end of August when this new Star Wars series comes out. It's called Andor. And uh, I'm playing an evil imperial shitbag called uh, Blevin, um, which is pretty exciting. I've been on an imperial space cruiser. Not many people can say that. Um, so yeah, those are two big things that are about to come out. But in terms of like work that I'm actually doing, I'm, I'm on a shoot right now as I speak to you uh, in Bristol, lovely, lovely sunny Bristol, and then I'll be heading off to Glastonbury this weekend to do a couple of stand-up gigs, and then back oh, to lovely. The shoot. yeah, back to the shoot. Uh, and as soon as this one finishes, I'm on another one. So this one I'm shooting right now is like a BBC One drama. They've just announced it with Timothy Spall and Anne Reid, amazing cast. Um, uh, it's a thriller based on a, a real life horror show, really, and it's a serial killer. Um, fascinating, though. When I finish this, I, I start a new job, which I just literally got. I heard I got from an audition um, before we got on this Zoom. I should be in celebratory mode, but I, I just I'll go in some guilt trip. I like, stop celebrating, <laughs> get back to work. Right. 
<laughs> take the afternoon off. Go explore them record shops in Bristol. I am. I am no, I'm, I'm going to do that. It's a lovely sunny day here, and I think it's uh, it's about time I went go and have a beer and uh, check out some record shops, do some vintage clothes shopping. Do um, it, mate. Me, do it. Yeah. Ben, it's been a real joy talking records with nice. you, mate. Thank you so much. All good. Cheers, Stu. All right. Take it easy, mate. There you go. I said to Ben before we got started, I said it should take about 45 minutes. Uh, I think we went hour and a quarter. Um, what a chat. Um, yeah, incredible uh, tasty music, you know, all over the place and, and just talks it so well. Um, you know, he, should, he, he talks really well. He should do stand-up or rap or, oh, no, yeah, of course, yeah, he's ticked all of them boxes, hasn't he? Um, what a talent. You know, just a, 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 a real all-round all round talent and, and, and good egg. So um, if you've got a fraction of the joy uh, that I got having that natter um, from listening to this, then uh, you've had a good hour and a bit. So um, thanks ever so much for listening. Thanks again to Ben uh, for giving up his time to come on uh, and chat records. Um, I'm back next time. In the meantime, as mentioned, go check out the back catalogue, 400 episodes. Subscribe, then you won't miss any and anything else you need to know off the beat and track podcast.com. I'll see you next time. Bye bye. It's off the beat and track podcast on the distraction pieces network. You've made stew with him. Eat it, boy.